0: As we get into God's Word today, uh, let us turn to Romans 8, two verses. If you uh, need a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and Joe uh, will bring a Bible to you. Um, If you don't own a Bible, Merry Christmas to you. You can keep that Bible and bring it home with you. Um, Romans 8. We're only going to read two verses, but I want you to have a Bible in front of you because we are going to go into some scripture. And so anybody else, uh, raise a hand, need a Bible, right up front here. So, wonderful. While you're doing that, uh, Chuck said something that's impressed my heart and it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, so I have to follow through. Um, He said that he has been in experiences where he has been with people and prayed over them. And uh, that they've been healed, and I believe that. I believe that God heals. And so anyways, we have a sister among us uh, who is going to have surgery this week, Wednesday. And so I think it's appropriate that we pray over her today. And so I'm going to go back here to Alyssa, and uh, if it's all right, my sister, we're going to pray over you, girl. Is that all right? All right. So you are having surgery on Wednesday Mm -hmm. for cancer, is that right? right. There's cancer area. In my okay, okay. Amen, amen. So would you all join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come together as brother and sister because that's exactly what you have called to create. Uh, you're not creating some organization. You're not creating some... Um, Uh, uh, some great empire here on this earth uh, that's man-made. The kingdom of God is brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, I pray with my sister Alyssa, I pray, Lord, for this Wednesday uh, that you will um, show yourself to be who you are, uh, the great healer, and that, Father, uh, through doctors' workings and through their skills, uh, that you will reveal yourself uh, to be the true and right God who heals. Uh, You love Alyssa. You know her heart right now. You know the the thoughts and everything that's going through her mind. And I just pray a blessing over that, that, Lord, you will give her peace that surpasses all understanding, that you will give her a joy that doesn't make sense to anyone, and that you will give her confidence that you are going with her um, through this experience. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that you incarnated yourself in this world and went to a cross to show how intimate you are with your people. And I pray that right now, that, Lord, your intimacy, your heart, your love, uh, will be so all over this woman, that, Lord, uh, you'll be given glory and honor and praise through it. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we love Alyssa. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, and all God's people said, We're a family, right? That's what we do, right? Yep. Amen. Amen. It did take God a couple of times to say, "Andres, I'm going go back there. And so uh, let's listen to our God. So are you ready in Romans 8? It is going to be uh, verses uh, 29 through 30. You with me? All right, all right. In 29, it says these words, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Amen? Amen. Father, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. So, reading a, a book by um, um, John Piper this week. It's called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. And uh, he said, and if, if you know the name John Piper, you know there's multiple books and preached for probably, I think, um, four decades. And, um, and so um, I actually saw him when I went to a conference called Together for the Gospel in which they were saying that there is more that holds us together at the cross than what separates us denominationally. And I believe that, and I preach that, and that's who my heart is. But anyways, he said this. He said, every morning before I preach, he says, I look at my manuscript, and he said, I realize how um, weak I am and how much I need Jesus to be even to, to bring God's worth forward, what a what a tremendous responsibility to bring the Word of God forward. And I boy, as soon as I read that, I almost started tearing up. It is so true, it is so true. Especially as we come uh, to a passage today, probably um, one of the central passages, one of the most important passages of, of Scripture. And I'll say that several times because there's several of them. But this one is in. Um, uh, certainly, in of itself, is an amazing uh, passage. Just to bring you a little bit of update, um, Romans 8 is really about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life. It really is about how the Spirit of God moves in our lives. In, uh, in verse 1, it says that with the Spirit, there's no condemnation unto those who are in Christ Jesus. That with the Spirit, every true believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Verse 14 and 16 of this chapter says that every believer is an adopted child of God. And it is the foundation being chosen. In verse 17, that we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. And in verse 26 and 27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, intercedes for us, for the saints, according to the will of God. And then after all that, he hits us with that all things, God works for good. Works for good. And it's true. If it starts with no condemnation, if it moves the fact that it, that it really is about the fact of more about Jesus in us than about our lives, and that we are his family, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ, then absolutely all things because because who can be against God never answer that question but this is an important i I look at this verse as kind of a, a transitioning verse um A transitioning verse that moves us from the doctrinal truth of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of every believer to the unction or the working out of the Spirit in the life of a person. And it's important because with God's Spirit, you're set in a world that's going to be naturally a war. It's going to be naturally a war because your spirit is going to come against the spirit of the prince of this air, of prince of the air of this world, and there is going to be a war, and every one of us has experienced it, whether we know it or not, and even this week, um, the two fronts of the enemy's attack is, first of all, your heart. Your heart is the first attack. In fact, right now, I can guarantee that there may be some in this room, a a, a group this size, that there's even a war going on. Oh, what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Oh, just, you know, you don't need to listen to him. Uh, Just, you know, just think about something else. You know, you got more important things to think about. Heart. The second attack is the attack of others. As I live out my identity in Christ, as you live out your identity in Christ, there's going to be a war that's going to come up. Your life will become a life that will either be the smell of death to people who will, will hate you as they hated Christ without cause or it'll be the smell of and the fragrance of life to those who are being drawn by the Spirit of God and chosen by God. So this morning, as I've introduced the fact that there's a war, as I introduced uh, the fact that uh, that it's it's happening today, um, I want to talk a bit about eternal uh, security in Christ. Or another name could be assurance of salvation. Why is this important? Because in this room today, there are four different people that are in front of me. One person is a person who are not saved, and they know they're not saved. Another person is a person that um, are not saved, but they don't know they're not saved. Another person is a person who is saved and absolutely knows they're saved. Can Anybody say amen? (laughs) Is that a beautiful thing? I hope so. But the fourth one is the most confusing. And that is a person who is not saved, but have a false assurance that they are saved. So I want to talk a bit about e- eternal security. And I'm defining it as eternal security because as eternal, the material of salvation is not molded from man's effort, from, but from God's. And so it's eternal. And security, okay, since God is eternal, then everything he does is affected by eternity. Amen? Amen. And second, security, because... Salvation is not based on the promise coming from mortals, but from one who is immortal. And so all his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so, so eternal security. Eternal security. Now why is that important for me to say? Because there are false securities out there today. And they are being preached. Preached. Even in the church, one is universalism. Everyone is a child of God. And it comes from a philosophy that God desires all people to be saved. I'm a person, so I'm saved. We heard it. We've, had, we've actually had preachers that have been on the pulpit for years, and they began to preach this universalism. And uh, and some have been moved from their um, from their pulpit, but others have not, and it is pervasive. Um, this interesting point that that I that I read, I just think is this this um, who I was studying said this. It comes from a, a belief of justification by death. Not a justification by faith in Christ alone, but justification by death, meaning that if I die, I'm in heaven. And he said that most of the time this is brought up, this is shown at funerals. Have you ever noticed that the person that has passed away at funerals these days becomes a shining light of absolute purity beyond human ability? And uh, one of the examples that I had that one of my former students at the dock committed suicide. And, um, and so I had absolutely no assurance of his salvation. And, uh, and so I was, I, just as a pastor, I, I, I feel the responsibility of not putting him in heaven. And so um, actually, um, Ryan was with me, and so I, you know, I just... Um, I, just, I, talked about, um, I, I talked to more of the people that were there about the importance of knowing Jesus Christ so that when you come to this place, you have the assurance of where you'll be after you die. And um, an aunt was very offended because when he was in his coma at the hospital, they came in and they baptized him. So she was actually assured that he was in heaven. And I got called out on that by her, and we had a little talk afterwards, uh, but I'm not sure I changed her mind. But that is, that is another one. Um, actually the third one is, oh well, it, sacraments um, is another of false security, that if I join a church, or if I was baptized, that solidifies that I'm saved. Baptism is definitely a response to what is already going on inside the heart. Baptism is a fact, right, Olympia? Baptism about the fact that the Holy Spirit's working inside of me, changing my heart. And that's why I say I must be baptized because I need to be identified not only in my my heart with Christ, but I need to proclaim my identity with Jesus Christ by obeying him and being baptized. And so... um, The sacrament itself does not save anybody, but is a response to salvation. The third one is legalism. Um, Good deeds get me into heaven. It's pervasive. I mean, it was through the Jewish time. It's through today. If I just do enough good things, then I've earned my way into heaven. And uh, I've preached on that uh, quite a bit earlier uh, this year and last year on performance-based Christianity. And it is a false security. And then finally, uh, um, uh, the act of going to the altar, saying a prayer or making a decision for Jesus Christ. The important thing about this is the fact that anything that causes us to trust in an act more than trusting in Jesus is always going to be false. It's always going to be false. We must trust in Jesus and His completed work on the cross for our salvation, and that being final. And so uh, all the false securities listed um, list um, have one thing in common, and that is dependence on oneself to ensure one's salvation. As I thought about this, the Lord drew my heart back to um, Joshua. And Joshua, if we know the story of Joshua, he led uh, the Israelites into the promised land. He was the campaign leader that led them through the wars and basically established the boundaries of uh, of Israel in the promised land. And so he comes to the end of his life and the end of his leadership in chapter 24 of Joshua and he reminds them of their history and the faithfulness of God. And then he says the famous statement that most of, our, of, of us have heard, um, Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Uh, then the people uh, say in response to that, they say, We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. But what drew me to that passage was the, ins- the interesting response that Joshua gives to them. He says these words, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. And the people said, no, 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 no. We will serve the Lord. And they repeated again. So then Joshua says to them these interesting statements. He says, you yourselves will be a witness against yourself when you do not serve the Lord. And then he set up what he called a witness stone. And he said, this stone has heard everything that you have said. And it will be a witness to you that will not move in this response. So the question is, how did they do? They tanked. They tanked. That's right. They tanked. Um, History accounts for us that the people of Israel um, continued to rebel against God. And that Malachi then opens up and he basically... um, then goes through the list of what, what happened. You know, you, you saw that worshiping me was a waste of your time. You saw that, um, that uh, detailing to the sacrifice was a waste of your time. Um, you even intermarried with other women, and you became faithful, faithless, in your own marriages to your wives. You no longer gave your tithe, showing your absolute rebellion against me. And he left the Israelites for 400 years until John the Baptist and the coming of the Messiah. And so, um, so when we talk about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a person, we're on point. We're on point for what we need to obey we're on point for what we need to live our life out in Jesus Christ. We're on point because we have to come to the place that, that John Piper came to, that even a faithful minister of the word realizes that in of himself, he cannot do it. Then unless the Holy Spirit shows up and gives unction to the movement, it is a waste of time. And so that is why Paul teaches us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you are justified. The Holy Spirit cleanses us from the inside out. And it is with your mouth that you are saved as a response to what's going on. When you, the Spirit of God, moves inside your heart, can you keep it down? Can you stay quiet? I sure hope not. It is the greatest event that happens in your life of all eternity is the Spirit of God dwelling with inside of you. And remember, Jesus reminded us, everyone who is of Christ has the Spirit of Christ in him. And so... And so keeping in this mind, as we, as we come to verse 29, as we think about this big picture, we hear the doctrine of regeneration. We hear the doctrine as we, as for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The simplest form of, of ritual life in us. It is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in regards to the fact that very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You can't intellectualize yourself into this. You can't make yourself believe this. It must be the fact that you're born again. Re means re means something new. And what is new? A new generation. It's a new movement. You're no longer the same person. You're moved by God's Spirit into becoming a new person. In fact, He goes on and tells tells Nicodemus very truly, "I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born out of, born of water and of Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit." And so, go back to that list universalism, legalism, sacraments, or coming uh, to say that I, even the act of saying I accept Jesus, all of these fall, can fall under the act of the flesh, not the act of the Spirit. And I'm not saying that if you've, if you've received Jesus Christ in your life that you can't say those words, but it has, to, it has to first be that the change is in your heart and it comes from the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God. And so in this verse, you see the process, the purpose, and the result. The process has two elements to it. The process of foreknowledge. It is the reality that God's predetermined choice was over you. That God has predetermined divine love for those He plans to save. Also, that God intimately loved and loves you, he said to jeremiah, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you in response to what Chuck said when, when, when jeremiah is i' I'm just I'm, I'm, you know you get two sermons today, no extra cost for that i just I loved it. Thank you, brother Chuck. I so appreciate your words, but after jeremiah said i'm just i 'm just a kid, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you new is the w- to know is the word of intimate intercourse between a man and a woman. It, it was said about Solomon in 2 Samuel 12, 24-24, that when Bathsheba gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord, listen, the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent a word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, meaning loved by God. Paul himself confirms these words in 2 Timothy uh, 2.19 where he says, The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. Foreknowledge. Not based on anything you do. Not, I mean, Solomon hadn't done anything. He was a squirming little baby, probably eating and pooping, and that was it. But at that moment, he was named Jedediah." Because the Lord loved him. Not because of Solomon's acts, but because God is love. God is love. It's about God. You've got to remember that. Don't ever forget that. If you're here today, and if your heart is being moved by God to follow him, it's because he so loved you. Now just let that settle and sit. That's awesome. That is amazing grace. So that is the first foreknowledge. Second is the word predestination means to mark out a point or determine beforehand. It is the picture that Peter was drawing in Acts 2.23, is said, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God's predetermined plan, even though it can appear bad, is ultimately good, because God is righteous, and everything God does is good and right 100% of the time. And so this is the God. In fact, um, evil itself is controlled by this doctrine. You know that, that in, in the book of Job, where uh, Job, this very righteous man, um, and most righteous man in all the East, was, um, was being considered by Satan. And, um, and Satan said, you know, he's only righteous because you've built a hedge around him and because you're protecting him. But take that protection away, and he will certainly he will certainly curse you. And God said, you can take everything away, but do not touch the man. And Job lost everything. And then the second time, Satan comes up and he says, if you touch the man, he will certainly curse you. And he said, you can touch the man, but you cannot kill him. Do you see what's going on? He's totally in control. He's totally at it. And that's exactly... um, uh, what the disciples found out too or, or thought about as they, res- as they thought about what happened to Jesus Christ in Acts 4, 27 through 28. And they were talking about Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles. Um, they said, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And so these two processes of the security of our salvation is the fact that God had you in his mind. And he had a predetermined path for your life. And that is so important, especially for the fifth one that Daniel um, pointed out. And I'm glad you did, because it really is the fact that there are those with, among us right now that struggle with eternal security, that struggle with their salvation, that struggle with is this thing real? And on these two these two thoughts, the question is this: in your heart right now, is there a movement of God drawing you to him? Is there a is there a, an unction raising up inside of your heart that is moving in your being right now? Is it in yours? I, I get the fact that this week you've sinned. I have too. I get the fact that this week you didn't do everything right. You didn't, you, you didn't do what God called you to do in some instances, and he's still calling you to do it, so, so do it. Do it. But in your heart, and there's there's a a song comes to my in my mind, um, and I'm trying to think of the words. But you know, in my heart, there. What? Go ahead. The what? Yeah, rings a melody. Yes, is in your heart the melody of God's word, the melody of His Spirit. Is it raising up inside of you? If it is, it's because God foreknew. For loved, and it's because God predetermined and predestined you. Don't doubt it. So, the process and the purpose, but what's the result? What's the result? The result is, right? So it says here, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be what? Conformed. To what? What? Yes! 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 This means that a person who is regenerated by the Holy Spirit is changed from the inside out. That the transformation causes a life to be changed by their devotion of focus to be on their new nature. The Spirit of Christ who lives in you. Jesus becomes your Savior the cross and resurrection and your lord as he becomes your master as savior he brings together god's love and predetermined life for you as lord he is your knowledge of salvation he is your certainty of salvation he is your preserver of salvation and he is the giver of unity that only not only binds us together with god but also as believers and becomes a natural unction of you can ministries. Becomes a natural unction of evangelism. Evangelism isn't something that, David, I can teach you. Evangelism becomes a natural outworking of your being as the Spirit of God lives inside of you. It's just is natural. You say now, where where do you see that? I want you to go with me to John 17. I want you to go to John 17, and in his high high priestly prayer, you see all those elements. You see all those elements. I'm going to start with the sixth verse and read through the 12, and then we're going to pick up um, with with, uh, verse 23. Are you with me? Sweet, sweet. You guys got it back there? Jesus says these words, praying for his disciples. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. Listen to this. They were yours. Huh? Can you hear it? You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given to me comes from you. But they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, look at this. Protect them by the power of your your name, the name you gave me, Jesus, so that they may be one as we are one, unity. Now listen to this. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by what name you gave me. None of them have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. And then skip with me to verse 23. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. What then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Conform to the image of the Son. Conform to the one who is the knowledge of our salvation the certainty of our salvation, the preserver of our salvation, and the giver of unity and the unction for us to share the gospel with others. Because naturally, what comes out of us as we live in unity with God, as we live in unity with one another, people go, what? God must be real. He must love us. As he's loved his son, and so conformed in the in, in the image, and I, I just I think you've got to hear um, Philippians one six says this: He who began a good work in you, well, what? Yeah, and we'll bring it to completion. We'll bring it to completion. Amen. Amen. So you've heard the process. This is, and I think I went, went ahead, but this is the purpose. The purpose is to be conformed to the image of his son. And the result, the result is, listen to me, the result is that he might be, con, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. As we truly conform to the image of Christ, we become mirrors to the world. We become the moon as we reflect the sun's light To the world. We reflect Jesus Christ to the world. In the Jewish world, the firstborn son had privileges. And this status refers to what's called preeminence. He became of importance, of great importance. And so God's result to our conformity to the image of the Son is to bring forth in humanity um, that He redeemed and reigns over. Uh, the preeminence of Jesus Christ in the world. His preeminence, his his importance, him being the firstborn among many brothers and sisters is the fact that our lives shine him to the world and show him to the world. A song came to mind as I was thinking about this, and it's a, a Michael W. Smith song. And it says these words, Above all powers, above all things, kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders this world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of this earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth Hallelujah. and then the, the verse goes crucified laid beyond a stone you lived to die rejected and alone like a rose trampled on the ground you took the fall and thought of me above all and that and that's sweet those are sweet words those are just sweet words above all is that God in your life. The result is that when Jesus Christ becomes above all in you, the world sees him. The world sees him. No more about your rights, no more about your plan, no more about your life. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is in control. I started a practice in my life, and I have to admit, I don't always do it, but I started a practice. I get up in the morning, uh, there's a couple things that I, I say. First of all, thank you for preserving me through the night. That's the first prayer. Second prayer is is, um, I, I pray and ask for the armor of God to be put on because I know that this is a war and I know that I need the spiritual armor of God. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, sword of the word, and the shield of faith. I pray that. And then finally I say, you have the plan of my day. You can do anything you want with it. Change it, switch it up, do what you want. It's your day, not mine. And so, um, and so knowledge and predetermined love, uh, relationship with you, and so that you and I can be conformed to the image of Christ for the purpose of revealing to the world, and the result becomes that he is seen above all in this world. And then verse 30. And I could spend a lot of time here, um, but I just, I just want to make some comments on this. If um, uh, you want deeper doctrinal uh, teaching on it, you, you certainly can get into it, but for time. Um, verse 30 says this, and those he predestined. So now you know that. He also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so as we understand that, the, that the, the, the power behind our ability to live the Christian life is the predestination of God, that he, he predetermined this life for you, and you're walking into his plan and purpose for your life, then we have to realize something else, and that every single one of us is called. Every single one of us is called. You know, I find it interesting, and it's been something that's jumped out of my mind about Isaiah. Do you know where chapter 6 is located in the book of Isaiah? you know where it is? After chapter 1 through 5. Now, I know that seems elementary to you. But in my mind, what I've started to understand a little bit more is that Isaiah was in ministry before chapter 6. He was already prophetically working, doing God's work. And yet, chapter 6 comes in. Huh, where he sees the Lord high and lifted up, where he sees the angels with six wings, where he sees the, that, that God's glory fills the temple. Back and forth, all the way up to the top. So much so that smoke fills the temple because he couldn't take any more of what he was seeing. And then he said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people. Of unclean lips. Woe is me. And then the atonement of Christ comes in with a with a coal to his lips, touching the very sin he had just talked about. And after all that, he hears something, and he hears this: Who will go forth for me? Who will do my bidding? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Every single believer has a call. It's not the external general call of the gospel on all people because many are called but few are chosen. But it is the internal call of God on each individual heart to do what God's calling them to do. Have you heard the call? And have you obeyed it? So predestined, called, and of course justification is the fact that he's made you right. You know what keeps people from the call? Do you know what keeps people from the call? Not believing they're right. Not believing they're right. It's, it's the same thing that, that, that is said in the, in the New Testament. About, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are those, reminded by Daniel to us today, that there are those that are overcome by evil even though they're chosen. And that that evil is leading them instead of the one who's calling them. And if that's you today, Today's a really good day to repent. Today's a really good day to say, I see it. I see it, God. I, I have heard your call. And I know that you're my ability to do what you're calling me to do. And you, in Jesus Christ, you made me right so I can do it. And even with, with uh, um, uh, John um, Piper and myself, even though you look at a manuscript and you go, How weak. We still follow through because he's the unction behind it. And I'm experiencing that even today. And so you've been predestined. You've been called and you've been made right. Can I just say this out loud? Get over yourself. No, get over yourself. Now, you didn't hear me. Get over yourself. Because it's yourself that's holding you back. Chosen by God. Some of you, well, Wayne, how do you know I'm chosen by God? Are you here? Do you think people not chosen are worshiping God today? No, they're not. Why aren't they? Because they don't want to. What did they, what in, 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 uh, in Judges, and I, I could call on somebody right now. I won't embarrass them because he may not know this. In Judges, it ends by saying what about the Israelites? What was the statement that Judges exodus, well, actually kind of, Judges kind of entered with and also exited with? What's the phrase? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Yes, yes, yes. That is the sign of an unbeliever. because who is our righteousness? Jesus Christ. So who, who should we be doing our, uh, living our life for? Him. Because what He has predetermined for you, what He's calling you to do, what He has justified you to do, is exactly what He wants you to do. Is it true? Is it easy? No. No, it's not. It's probably, I'm going to be honest with you, it's probably one of the most difficult things you do in your life. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Why? Because of the last. So he predestined. He called. He justified. And then what? What? He what? Yes, he did. He glorified. What? What? I, can you hear Paul? Can you hear Paul saying that we do not consider the momentary sufferings to be in the weight of the glory that awaits us? Are you kidding me? That's faith. I mean, that's how we don't become overcome by, by evil. We overcome evil with the fact that I'm bringing my, forth to, my fork to the grave because dessert's still coming. It's still coming. The best is yet to come in Jesus Christ. I, you know, I, the thing that I love about my Lord is that he doesn't, with all this, he does not, um, oh, I've got to keep going. Um, but he, he, he does not not care about the suffering that you're going through. He doesn't want you just to overlook it. He wants you to, as Paul said, to mix that with what's coming. And as faith overcomes what you're going through right now, you get to praise God in the midst of the trial. Because you know that no matter what you're going through, you got your dessert fork in your hand. It's coming. It's just light and momentary. It's coming. R.C. Sproul uh, said a great definition of eternal security. He also equates it to perseverance of the saints. He says, once a person has become quickened by the Holy Spirit, born of the Spirit, and justified through faith in Christ, and therefore placed in a state of salvation, that person will, in fact, never lose his salvation you believe that? I do too. Why is that? Because it's not about me. It's all about God. He for love, he for determined. This thing that I'm saying I now believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is, is, is a moment in my life in which all these things come together and I'm doing it in response to what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of me and I am a different person, I'm a new person. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Isn't that beautiful? It's eternal because it's not molded from man's effort. It is secure because it's not based on mortal promises. But from the promise of a mortal God, Who does not change, and so we are not destroyed. Now, very quickly, how do I know I have this eternal security? I don't think it was by chance that my brother behind the pole preached last week on forgiveness. There's two things. I listened to the message. of two things I appreciated about his preaching. First of all, I enjoyed the clarity of the biblical truth on forgiveness that he presented to us and the evidence of God's gift of forgiveness. Second, Dave was not in a hurry to get over the message, and I appreciated that. I think that uh, spending time with God is so vitally important. So the question that I have for you for you here today is, have you received the gift from the cross of forgiveness? And how do you know that? Because you are empowered to forgive others. If you're sitting in unforgiveness today, if you are sitting in unforgiveness, it is not a great sign. I know that what somebody did to you is horrible. I get that part of it. So does God. He says, don't be chained, as as the pastor preached last week. So don't be changed. This brings up, I think, a point that I want to make, and that is, is that when you are, you are living in the reality of eternal, uh, eternal security of salvation, it's because you received something from God. Anybody who has not received something from God is not living in eternal security. God gave me a verse this week that really kind of solidified it. It's, it's, in fact, um, who was it? Somebody talked about the church at Laodicea. Was that you, Chuck? talked about the church of Laodicea, in Revelation 3.17, before the, I stand at the door and knock, he says these words, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind, and naked. Remember, this is written to the church but a church that had more stock in the blessing of the physical than the gift of the spiritual that God wanted to offer them. They didn't receive anything from God because they had determined they didn't need anything from God. This is a church. Are we living out our eternal security by living in love Unity, empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Is Christ so preeminent among us that people just naturally see his presence here in our place as we we live this out? So God foreloved you. He has a predetermined will for your life to live in the image and identity of Jesus Christ so the world will see him. He speaks to the heart. We're made right through the cross by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we're set on a course that God is calling us to, each one of us. Today, do you have eternal security? Today, do you know that the Spirit of Christ lives inside of you? Why is this important? Because in Christ, we're going to find out you're going to be more than conquerors. Outside of Christ, you're going to be conquered. You hear what I'm saying? If you don't have that security today, today's a really great day to say, I'm not saved, and I know I'm not saved, but today, Jesus Christ, I'm hearing your voice speak to me. Come, dwell within my heart. Repent of your sins. Be honest with him. He knows them already. Turn to him and let him know that your life is no longer your own. It's his. If you are um, not saved, Or if you're saved but you're not sure, search your heart. Let God search your heart. Paul said this, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself and then ask God. Listen, then ask God, search me and know me. Test me. See if there is any way of iniquity within me and lead me to the way everlasting. If today you had a security that was based on your performance or on some kind of exterior thing and not based on Jesus and the Spirit has witnessed to you, repent of it. Say, I've been living a carnal religious life Not moved by your spirit, but moved by my thoughts and what I thought was good. And Lord, move in my heart. I ask for forgiveness. Today's a really great day for that. Amen. Stand with me as we pray. Father, the words from Psalm 139 are coming in my mind and the words say this, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the heights, you are there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I go to the far side of the sea, if you're there. If I go where it's dark, even darkness is as light unto you. There's nowhere we can go from the spirit. And this morning, Father, I pray that your spirit has had its way with us, that, Lord, you have opened up um, People's hearts to the reality of the fact that uh, they they can have eternal security; that in you they can be assured to walk. And Lord, even in Jesus's prayer, that He not only is our our certainty and our our um, uh, our our, our, our holding us in place; He is everything to us. He is our faith. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll bless each one of us with the reality, this reality, and may we grow in your grace and knowledge. And today, set some people unsure on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, set some who uh, know they're lost um, to see your face and to say, I need Jesus in my life. I need him now. And Lord, uh, for those who are sure, I pray that, Lord, you'll bless them with, with an unction and a power to move in such a way that, Father, the world sees the preeminence of Jesus Christ in their life, whether at the store, whether at a gas station, anywhere in life, that you are so preeminent because we are so um, given over to you that the world can't look away. We love you, and Lord, we just we pray that you will just bless us through these words today. In the precious name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen.